0: Five, five four four three, three two one one one. We have ignition. Strap in. You're tuned into the God Stories Radio Podcast. www.godstoriesradio.com
1: Hey everyone and welcome to God Stories Radio. This is Session 54. I'm Fritz. I'm Mike. And I'm Trish. Man, what a week for uh, God Stories Radio. It
0: was. Oh my goodness.
1: <laughs> God's just turning up the burner around here. Well, you made that statement a uh, couple... Well,
0: Probably about a year and a half ago, and you said, strap yourself in. Your ride is about ready to take off.
1: He's Man. showing up and showing on. Yes, he is. Um, uh, we just had an incredible time with Pastor Johnny Diaz and Pastor Vic and, and Doc over at WTLN Saturday night from 10 to 1. And if you missed the show, you can or actually go to YouTube. It is The Vision uh, radio radio, pro- radio program, program, the Vision Radio program. I don't know why I have a glitch there. I can't remember that. If you go to YouTube and and, and search that, put that in the search bar up, it will come, and it's exactly three hours as, the, as ours, August the 30th. Man, we had a great time. What's great is uh, actually Pastor Johnny has consented to give his testimony on God Stories Radio next week. And he's got a doozy.
0: Yes, he does. Yeah, he does.
1: Man, we couldn't be more fired up. Uh, I think it's a match made in heaven with oh. the two of us and we're mm-hmm. on the same team and we have the same goal and it was just amazing and like pastor Vic said there was just uh, intense faith.
2: Yeah, when you bring the, the ministries together like right. that. Yes. Anointing.
1: Anointing. If you missed it, uh you can uh you can still catch us on YouTube, the Vision Radio program. So, Trish, what's going on over there? Oh boy, oh boy, what a week.
2: <laughs> 7 years and 7 million dollars later. Um, I finally got accommodations for the law school admittance test. So I'm taking that as a green light. So
1: fantastic.
2: I'm excited about that. I wanted to say hello. Give a shout out to our listeners in Namibia and also the UK and Canada. And of course, the USA, we have Anthony, Mary, Debbie, and Eric. We thank you guys for listening. Thanks to our Facebook supporters, Joy Downing, Marsha Jones-Hughes, and Craig Donovan Fraley. And if you're listening, let us put your name and country on God's Stories Radio, and we'll give you a shout out. You know, we do have a donate button now, and our top priority is to get a home for God's Stories Radio and raise money. We need... um, 850 dollars to become a 501 c3 if you want to give a shout out to us of course we're at godstoriesradio.com you can hear us on iheart spreaker itunes and stitcher stitcher and email us at godstoriesradio at gmail.com and you can tweet us
1: of course <laughs> that's mikey's favorite line yeah tweet. <laughs> we always forget about twitter <laughs> and i always take it personally <laughs> <laughs> Twitter.com, at GodStoriesRadio, and also God Stories Radio at Gmail. So you have many, many ways to get in touch with us. And you're, if you're listening from another country other than the states, then, you know, please give us a shout-out. We'd like to know who you are
0: and yes, get we, to know our listeners. Right, we would. And we'd like to put a name to those countries, so or a name with those countries, with some of the people listening there. So we
1: know you Please there. do it. Thank you. Fantastic.
0: We have a uh, testimony tonight that um uh it's a good friend brother it's been a long time coming Mm. Uh, i've heard bits and pieces and never heard the whole testimony from beginning to end it was given at real men a couple weeks ago and and taped so you're going to get a chance and to be blessed by uh, fritz's whole testimony from start to finish again he's just a, a good friend and a brother
1: it's our own Fritz. Our own Fritz. So Don't feel bad, Mike. I hadn't heard it from beginning to end either. <laughs> <laughs> You've had some uh. adversities for sure. <laughs> Most definitely. I know Mike and I have been kindred spirit and it was no mistake that God hooked us up. Nope,
0: yeah. not at all. Sit back and be blessed. All right. So here's uh, Fritz's testimony given live at Real Men a few weeks ago at uh, Real Life. Again, what Trish had said, you know, anybody that's out there listening, uh, especially from any of the countries, actually, but uh, we'd like to put some names to those countries, so please do. And we have that donate button. We need a home for GSR. Amen. Help us out.
1: Amen. All right, sit back and relax, and uh, here I come from uh, Real Men. I guess I need these uh, getting olding for sissies. I wanted to come up here and wow you with some Pastor Christian Grasso wild opening that you would just go, whoo. Pretty hard to be comical. (laughs) Um, But I was born and raised in South Florida, Boca Raton. I had a lady ask me today that uh, said, Are you a native? I said, Well, yeah, I'm a native Floridian. Almost like I'm this rare species, you know, what are they doing? Are they killing us off? Or <laughs> so, uh, yes, I am a native Floridian. I was born to Christian parents, and my dad was a real estate mogul and a recovering alcoholic. The Amrine family, going back, used to own a large bakery called Amrine Bakery, and they were in Springfield, Illinois, and they used to deliver hand-baked goods and and loaves of bread right to to the door. Well, Amrine Bakery turned into a little bread company you may have heard of called Wholesome, Wholesome Bread. My dad was about a 30-year pen recovering alcoholic, so I never really got to experience the bad dad like my siblings did. They always, my dad and my mom always found it important to get me as much positive input as they could. So they started me really young in what was called the Alatine program, and then I worked up to AA, and, and then I would go to you know coffee houses, things like that, and I, I think that's where my love for coffee got started. I always had a job. My dad always believed that I sh- you should work for everything, although he could afford to give me anything. He always made me work for it, no matter what it was, or even you know if it was small. It was pretty hard on the weekends though, when I was waving goodbye to my friends, and they were going to the beach or off to the mall or something like that, and I had to go to work. But when they needed a ride somewhere, it was always convenient to, uh, well, let's call Fritz because he's the one that could afford a car. And my very first car, I'll always remember it, and I love to describe it because I live vicariously through it. And I know a lot of you are gearheads in here, so you'll appreciate this. It was a 71 Candy Apple Red Cutlass, a 442 had the B and M shift kit, the posse rear, and it had the big high back captain's chairs that would spin all the way around. So, and I used to race my friends. He had a 71 Dodge Charger, you know, with the, with the, uh, kind of the, the big snout, the 383. And I could just talk cars all day long, but I wasn't a bad kid, but you know, I did stupid stuff. What kids do, you know, I, I we used to enjoy pulling pranks on our friends, you know, and back then before you had locking wheel hubs, You know, you could jack up a car, take off the tires, set them there and put the car back down and leave them with no no tires. So we did that quite a bit. I did enjoy smoking weed. The alcoholic gene ran pretty deep in our family and uh, that would soon become my vice later on. My dad taught me some great work ethic from a young age. You know, he charged me Ten percent of my paycheck, uh, we used to call it room and board. But of course, he was always there if I needed something special or, or whatnot. He was always there to to fork the money over, if it was a good cause. He made me work for everything. He said, "You will always take care of the things that you're invested in physically." I held a job all through high school. I was, I'm a, a a Publix person, Mikey. So a Publix alumni, I guess. Through grade nine and 12, I I used to bag groceries at Publix. I used to shuck polo balls part-time at the polo grounds because we live right next door. Does anybody know what polo is or have you seen polo? Okay, well, I used to shuck those balls part-time. Like I said before, at a young age, I was exposed to church, teen groups, coffee houses, AA meetings, and this would prepare me for what was yet to come emotionally. I lost my mom when I was 14 to breast cancer, This traumatized me at a young age. I can remember laying awake in bed at night because our rooms were side by side and I could hear her moan in pain and agony and my dad would do the best he could to comfort her. I think if she was alive today and she was exposed to the technology of today, she would have had a fighting chance. I think the chemo killed her before the, the cancer did. My friends always said, would always remark how she was always smiling. Even the doctors, the nurses, she always impact people all the time by the smile. And Corey, if you'd put up that picture, that was my mom, and that was a good representation of her smile. You've probably seen that guy in that '70s show. <laughs> Look at that shirt. Oh yeah, Jordan Marsh. Anybody heard of Jordan Marsh? Yeah. <laughs> That's going back, but anyway, my mom was infectious, and she changed lives like I said that smile and My dad remarried really quick after she passed away, and I really couldn't blame him because I think that had he not, he would have started back drinking, so i really didn't didn't blame him for that except that this I was still at a young age and this lady came in and she was trying to be my mom and there was, you know, that childlike resentment. I used to call her my stepmonster. Well, my dad, you know, he although he supported me in everything, he never validated me. He was not accustomed to public displays of affection or uh, anything remotely sappy as he would say. He was not real tolerant of whining or begging. And he'd always say, you know, I'll give you something to whine about. So I never challenged him after that. You learn traits from your parents. And when you get older, you you realize, man, I think I got that from Pop. My trait that I learned from my dad especially was uh, I developed a hatred for kids. I just hated kids. It was like, not that I hated all kids, but mostly kids that were just thought the world owed them a living. I mean, hasn't it changed, don't you think? You know, they come out of the womb with an iPad or a cell phone, and and I hated adults for that matter that thought the world owed them a living. Because I worked for everything I had, you know, and it wasn't expectant that I would even get it then. On the flip side, I got my mom's tenderness and a compassion for the underdog, the needy. Uh, Helping people would then become my ministry. I have lots of brothers and sisters, but I remain separated from them, although that they love me through everything and they always supported me, they always stayed in contact with me. But I separated myself from them because they were all you know, very successful. Um, I have a brother that travels the country, he's an insurance guru, and I have my, one of my sisters as an author and the other sister is an attorney. So you get the picture. I was just me, an aspiring musician, Working whatever job just to get to the next gig. So, Corey, if you'd put that picture up with the drums. <laughs> That's me in my prime. You've probably heard of some of these groups that I travel with. Not, but uh, Ronnie McKinley, uh, anybody ever heard of the Platters? Anybody old enough to? Hear the Platters? I travel with them for a while. And if you've ever been in downtown Chicago and you're only, only white man for miles, it's a little intimidating. Oh, they they were great brothers. They used to call me the token white boy. I used to... (laughs) The Chick Magnets model citizen. I did a bunch of studio work. I don't know if anybody's ever heard Blackfoot. They did that song, train, train. And I see you bobbing your head, brother. You're right there with me. I worked with them for a while and with the bass player. we, We became good friends. And I started my own business called Experience Staging at that time where we just did small sound jobs and theater jobs and whatnot. I married young the first time at age 22. Lasted almost eight years. However, my music career was much more important to me than my first marriage. However, we did have one beautiful daughter who is, me, she's now married and, and lives in Portland. Ashamed shame to say that I've been married three times. I used to call myself a three-time loser. And then I'd giggle about it, you know, because it was always easy for me to hide behind humor. That way I never showed my disappointment, my failure, the agony that was really going on inside. My second wife, Aubrey's mom, struggled with bipolar disorder. When she was on her meds, life was good. But when she got feeling good, she quit taking her meds. She would just do some crazy stuff. I mean, I'd wake up three or four in the morning. She'd be out watering the, the plants or something. I'm like, what are you doing? Well, they're going to die if I don't water them. I just go back to bed. We were married almost 15 years, but this, the bipolar thing was really taking a toll on me. And I did what any man with integrity would do, and I ran into the arms of another woman. I happened to be her best friend who would sit and listen to me and give me compassion. So that was the easy thing to do to seek comfort from another woman, but it's a late affair in the marriage, and she was conveniently there to listen to me. She was very vindictive, so it took me a long time to get divorced, <laughs> my second, but I, I did reasonably try in that marriage. The third marriage, well, I started dating... <laughs> It's kind of complicated, but I started dating somebody that I knew for 20 years that was still married But they were separated follow along I Just kind of ended up sliding in under the radar on that one. I Would later know how that feels because she left me in the same manner my third wife My son used to live with me and then she had a son as well and her son accused my son of touching him inappropriately, so I had to make a choice. It was either her or my son. So I'm ashamed to say as a father I chose her, and I put my son on a plane back to Pennsylvania. I still today can see the tears streaming down his face as he went down the jet ramp. He has since told me that he forgives me for that. This caused a lot of stress in the marriage um, And it earned us a a meeting with the church pastors and and the leadership in the church. And they told us due to my past, we'd have to step down from what we were doing. And I was uh, playing drums and my wife was a frontline vocalist in the choir at that time. This left us pretty confused and irritated, as you can imagine, at the church system. This frustrated me to the point... That it's really all I needed for Satan to help me to turn my back on God, and that's exactly what we did. I was so eat up with hatred and, and anger that I actually sat down and I plotted to write a book called The Business of Playing Church, and I was going to expose all the tactics that pastors had fund their ministry and take their trips on the congregation and how they were sleeping with members of the congregation, and I was just going to blow it up. But thankfully, God put a halt to it. I still couldn't tell you how he did it, but he did it because there was a lot of people that were getting ready to be hurt by that, and I'm just glad it never manifested. So now starts the process of God trying to get my attention. In 2004, like it, you saw, I had a heart valve. Replaced. I mean, it actually almost exploded and they caught it in time. I had a metal heart valve put in there and it's functioning fine now. It's, it's rather ironic though when you get in an elevator with me and it's really quiet, you can hear it ticking and everybody's really nervous. I'm like, it's all right, just the heart valve. In the prime of the third marriage, we purchased a real estate firm and grew it to uh, top 200 ERA franchise system in in the United States. We had three offices and over 100 agents. We had all the toys, cars, boat, Harley, 4,000 square foot home. In 2008, we started to feel the squeeze because you all will know what happened to the real estate market about 2007, 8, 9. So we were using all our credit cards and what cash kitty we had to try to keep the business afloat but we lost it all and i think this was all in god's plan you know he will squeeze you till he's got all of you and this whole time you know god was with me although that i thought that he had abandoned me but due to the economy as well as ignorant and poor investment decisions on my part as you can imagine this also took its toll on the marriage with all the pressures of trying to keep the business afloat We owned more property than we could pay taxes on. This just fueled my anger towards God even more. Plot twist, 2010. I'll fast forward. Aubrey's mom, my second wife, passed away suddenly. She had an aneurysm from blood loss that she was happening from a gastric bypass that she wasn't aware of. And what was sad about that was Aubrey's relationship was being healed with her mother. I had to keep her away for several years from her with the bipolar disorder. She was really vindictive and hurtful and would say things, and she filled um, my son with hate towards me. She would just fuel that hate. But she met a guy who worked for the New York Post, and they started to get their act together, and she was on her meds, and that relationship was healing. That same year, my divorce was final from my third wife, so Aubrey lost two moms in the same year and felt abandoned. It was a blended family with my, with my third marriage, so I lost contact with my stepson as well. And this whole time I'm thinking, God, where are you? You know, I hated him in one breath, but I'm begging for his attention in another. Not even to mention the physical struggles we both encountered at the same year with my second open-heart surgery and Aubrey's pending liver kidney transplant. So my life for the next five years was dialysis three times a week, two trips to Miami per month, and plasma infusions once a month. So you could imagine how stressful that was. And then 2010 was when I had my aortic aneurysm. What was really neat about this, and this is how God had followed me the whole time, Dr. Tom Martin, our University of Florida, he developed the Florida sleeve he was the guy that actually um, invented that and he would, him and one other surgeon were the only ones that had ever done it this was the particular surgery that I actually needed I was able to come to Orlando and Dr Akalay and, and Dr. Tom operated on me and did what called a Florida sleeve. At this time We had tried to start another business. So I told her, You get the business up and running. I'll go to Orlando, get my heart fixed, and you won't have to worry with me. So I never went back to St. Augustine. But this whole time, uh, I was experiencing God's favor and didn't realize it. So let me break down kind of my Job like experience here in 2010. I lost 70% of my hearing in my left ear. I used to have vertigo that would bedrid me for over three days at a time, extreme restless leg syndrome, very high blood pressure, diabetes type 2, my second wife dies, my third wife left, my dad dies. You know, all I had left was something to catch on fire and I would have had the whole book, you know, <laughs> so... But the last phone conversation I had with my third wife, she said, Fritz, don't depend on me for your happiness. And it rocked my world because I did. I put a lot of pressure on her. I put a lot of pressure on other people to make me happy. But that was what you saw in the video where I talked about it was about me. And it was. I was a selfish brother. But it was over after I had that phone conversation, all my dreams, goals, successes, failures, as I knew it, was crushed in that instant. Now fear sets in. So which direction do you think I'd turn? I was a single dad to a special needs child, recovering from heart surgery the second time. I had no home. I was in a bedroom at my sister and brother-in-law's. But I was hurt and afraid, God was silent, and seemingly abandoned me. God was never silent though. I kinda liken this to Paul's thorn in the flesh because we never actually know what Paul's thorn in the flesh is, but I think that this was my thorn in the flesh. I mean, there was pretty much anywhere I couldn't go, anything I couldn't do that I hadn't done with my third wife. So anything and everything that I did was reminded me of that. But I had to learn to forgive. That was really the only way to escape it. <laughs> Because even Paul asked for God to remove it three times, and he did not. So it was a Friday night. I'll fast forward. I don't want to take a lot of time. It was Friday night, and my brother-in-law brought me up to the church. I was broken, crying, and had very little will to live at this point. As I was pretty self-absorbed and not thinking too clearly. I had reasoned in my mind that my sister and brother-in-law would take care of Aubrey, that she'd be fine. They would get her to where she needs to go. They would see her through the transplant and the world would be rid of somebody very miserable, which would be me. You know, never will I question how someone can, can reason suicide. But when you have felt pain, And depression to the point where you're a vegetable physically and mentally, you will reason anything to escape it. I came into what was a celebrate recovery on a Friday night, now real freedom. And there was a guy at the door named Mike Jewett. He said he never greets. He was just filling in for somebody. But he stuck out his hand. He said, he said, hello, brother. How are you? And I could really only muster up two words, a tear coming down my face, and I said, I'm tired. And I think Mike's eyes got as big as half dollars because he knew exactly where I meant. Because he, he flirted with death's door himself too long before that. I found out what a real man was that night. Mike didn't want anything from me. There was no catch. He just wanted to see me healed, to, to see me whole. And even today, he's never left my side. Thank you, Mike. I wanna admonish somebody else if I could. And that was John Durham john would would get up even before he knew who i was or he knew my name he would bring a message from the lord or he would say things like he does when he opened up real men and he was that rock for me when he didn't even know who i was and i don't know if you get told enough brother what you do here but this is one life that can appreciate it and it's saved because of it thank you Everybody needs somebody like that. I hope that you have somebody like that. I was told the fastest way to heal was to get involved. I'm like, seriously? I just knew the church wouldn't want somebody like me. I had too many problems. I was messed up. I'd pretty much hung up my ministry shoes for good. I also hated to read. You know, now I read all the time. As Mike says in his testimony, a habit was formed. <laughs> this is my habit. I filled out a service card and I put some of my skills on there. And when you know, I got an email from Corey the next day. I said, come on down. would love to have you try out. My drum audition for Phil and Corey was so bad. You could probably smell it from downtown. I was hurting. There was tears running down my face. You know, it was awful. And uh, Corey just, in the nicest way, said, it's all right, man. We can tell you can play. They encouraged me to keep my head up because I knew I was struggling. They didn't expect anything. They said, if you're ready, we're willing. Not what all I experienced at the former church. God has since restored all those relationships, too, from the former church. I'd throw that in there, which is awesome. Fast forward real quick, 2013-2014, Aubrey goes for dialysis three times per week, infusions twice per month. Then she gets the best Christmas present of all. In 2013, December, she gets a liver and a kidney transplant. And when people ask me how she's doing, I say she's living the dream. I don't have any other way to describe that except that she is. She truly is living a dream. She's at CIY this week with the church and she is having a ball. And I'm happy, Daddy. I also want to say something about Phil and Corey, how they've touched my life, not only with allowing me to get involved, that healing process that they have Process that they allowed me to go through. They still expect excellence each and every Sunday, but if you falter because you're hurting, that's not going to be one that they fault you for. This summer, uh, I was tech director at the South Campus for a while. I had the honor of doing that, but I stepped down this summer because Aubrey got her transplant and we wanted to do some traveling and have fun this summer, and they were so supportive they encouraged me. They said, go brother, have a ball. And we have been. It's amazing. There's no mistake. I ended up at real life. It saved my life. And real man was the catalyst to my recovery. Sorry, Corey, I I didn't plan on this, but I'm going to it's just uh, a lot of scripture that goes through my testimony. I can probably do a, a three-part tape series on my testimony, but it didn't have that long. I promise, Chase. There's a verse that, that speaks that God gave me uh, several years back. It's in Isaiah 61. It's called the year of the Lord's favor. The spirit of the sovereign Lord is on me because the Lord has anointed me to proclaim They will be called oaks of righteousness, a planting of the Lord for the display of his splendor. I think we're all called to be oaks of righteousness. How many of you agree? If I could just leave you this, guard your testimony, protect it with everything that you have. In the original Greek, the word testimony means to do again. And that's a lot of times why you you relive it. I tell you, this testimony, when I wrote it out, I was grieving, I was angry, I was crying because it took me back there. But that's where the power is. It's that power that will cause you to change lives, touch hearts like nobody else can because your story is unique. God is writing a story in all of you. Use real life and real men as a source of strength to harness that testimony. And then go share it. As Mike and I say on GSR or God Stories Radio, for you guys that know that we do that, there is someone or someones out there that needs to hear what you have to say. God bless
3: everyone for some time Gotta find the strength to rise From the ashes And make a new beginning Anyone can feel the ache You think it's more than you can take But you're stronger Stronger than The sun will soon be shining. You gotta face the clouds to find the silver. faith can do It doesn't matter what you've heard Impossible is not a word It's just a reason for someone not to try Everybody's scared to death When they decide to take that step